Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the new and improved Sportacost Football Stories podcast. After more than a year, we are back and we're rolling into our second episode since we came back. We're here today with Nick Bell, one of the hosts of GiddyCast, a unique audio and YouTube podcast about Primera Federación side Malaga. Nick is from Blackpool, but somehow finds himself in love with a third-tier Spanish club. And today, we're going to find out why. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with Nick Bell. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on. I think today might have the potential to be one of the most fascinating episodes we've done so far. Uh, Usually when we talk to football fans, the stories are quite cut and dry. You know, Liverpool fan from Liverpool, Wolves fan from Wolverhampton and so on. But today we're speaking to a fan of Malaga from from now, uh, unbelievably, the Spanish third tier, um, who is actually from Blackpool. So I guess, first of all, could you tell me a little bit about your football fan origins? Uh, were you originally a Blackpool fan and and how did you first get into the, the game? Yeah, so uh, I've been a, a Blackpool fan since um, I was a kid. Um, it's something that's bestowed on you by your, your parents or your grandparents. So I was fortunate enough to be dealt with uh, the Tangerines. Um, and then, yeah, I've been... I still go to Blackpool now. I still, you know, follow them, you know, through and through, even though they're in League One, which I, I suppose is what would you describe as our level at the minute? Um, but the Malaga side of things really sort of kicked off for us, uh, or certainly for me, when my parents got a place on the Costa del Sol. So that was around, um, I was about 12, 13 at the time. And there's just always this inclination to go and watch a game. I've always had that urge to go and watch football wherever I've been. So I remember just begging my dad going, oh, I'd love to go watch a Malaga game. Do you fancy it? Oh, we should go into Malaga. And they were always a bit like, nah, we've got the pool. We've got the apartment. We're near the beach. We don't need to go into Malaga. And I broke him down eventually. And we went to watch a game against uh, Villarreal. Uh, We sat in amongst all the uh, Spanish locals in one of the stands. I didn't know anything about the Giri army at the time. Um, And I just remember being enamoured. I just remember thinking this is so different to what you get at Bloomfield Road, what you would find at any other stadium in in England. And it was just an instant, wow, this is brilliant. And I'd I'd been following Malaga a little bit because of their Champions League, um, sort of what they did in the Champions League a few couple of years before, you know, with Isco and, uh, you know, Jeremy Tullalard and Manuel Pellegrini as manager and, you know, them getting to the quarterfinals of, you know, on their first try, basically. So, um, yeah, it was basically love at first sight. And so did you then continue following them from afar, like trying to watch their games from back in Blackpool on on TV or something as much as you could and 
do you still try and get to games yeah, every now and then? How's, how's your fan experience with them work over the years? So it, it's really, really like a like a runaway boulder from Indiana Jones. <laughs> That's probably the best way I can describe it. <laughs> um, so it, it became an instant fascination with Spanish football, first and foremost. So um, it was, I'm now watching La Liga on Sky Sports at home. Even if it's not Malaga, it's watching, you know, Celta Vigo against Villarreal. It's watching Osasuna take on uh, Athletic Club or something like that. Um, watching hours and hours of Scott Minto and Revista de la Liga, which was um, in a nice full circle moment. We did a, a 24-hour live stream for Ukraine, um, I think about this time last year, actually, or the year before. And we got the gang back for Revista de la Liga, Guillaume Balaguer, Scott Minto and Roberto Martinez. And I just remember pinching myself thinking, this is so surreal um, that this is where we are. So because of my age at the time, it was just as and when I could get into a Malaga game. It was like when I was going on holiday, being taken on holiday uh, to my parents' place. Um, again, my, my dad would just take me along. And then once I had the independence to go myself, it was... Oh well, um, well maybe I'll go over when I'm on holiday now, or when I'm going there. And you know, when I was with my then girlfriend, now wife, I'd go. I'm just going to pop into Malaga on the train. You, you know, you, you don't mind, you know, hanging around here or hanging around Malaga whilst I go and watch the football. And then that's when I joined the Giri Cast. So the Giri Cast is um, our international, you know, English-speaking Malaga podcast. We're the only one. It was started by um, Chris Marquez and Matt Harrison. Matt Harrison, who's, who's, who's very well known in sort of like um, football literature and um, you know social circles. So I think when he moved to uh, Marbella to be a teacher, he, he instantly wanted to find his local football team. And he's probably now one of the most famous people, in my opinion, that's related to that. Um, and now it is... For example, and over the course of the next three months, I'm at a game this weekend against Atletico Baleares. I've got the game against Ibiza at the start of March and then Ceuta at the start of uh, April. So I've managed somehow with uh, a full-time job, a wife and a kid, to get myself off to Spain every month. So I'm quite content. Well, as a married man with a six-month-old baby, I can only take inspiration from that because that sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I have a little bit of experience with Malaga myself. We were talking about this before we recorded, that maybe we've been in the Rosaleda at the same time without knowing it. But um, I lived in Spain for a few years in uh, in a few different places. And that process ended with me living in Malaga, but I was so unlucky uh, or I guess lucky in, in one one sense, depending how you look at it, that COVID struck at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was just in my apartment the entire year. But just before it struck, I, I went to the Rosaleda to watch a game, and it was against Real Zaragoza, a team I also used to go and watch when I lived in Zaragoza. So it was kind of like full circle moment. That was the first place I lived in Spain, and now the last. And uh, I remember being in the, in the, in the homestand, Next to me was the away stand with the Zaragoza fans over here. And then on the other side, you know, Malaga fans everywhere. But I saw this pocket of like, I think it was the Giri army. They had like a banner or something. And for our listeners who don't understand, Giri is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like gringo, but for Spaniards, you know, gringo is more yeah. like a Mexican for Americans thing. Um, it's, I think it's said with love, you know what I mean? It's not yeah, yeah. a hate yeah. term or anything like that. I don't consider it anyway. Um, 
So I remember seeing that thinking, oh, I'm a giddy. I want to join them. Um, I want to be in that. And I started looking at the Facebook groups and everything. And then COVID hit and I was in my apartment for basically six months. But uh, I wonder if uh, some of your giddy cast cohorts might have been in the stadium that day. Do you tend to go and con- um, congregate with the um, giddy army when you go to game? Yeah, very much now. Like I said, when I started going on my own, it was... Um... You know, very much getting a ticket for for anywhere. I've, you know, I think I've sat in all four 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 corners of La Rosaleda. Um, and it was when I started listening to the Giri cast. So it was um, incidentally another Malaga fan from Blackpool who told me, "Oh, you'll like this podcast." And I've you know got background in media and I love my podcasts. And I just reached out a little bit. I said, "Oh, by the way, do you do you guys go to the games? It'd be lovely to meet you." And then lo and behold, it was, oh, yeah, book a seat in block 538. That's where we all sit. And we all meet at uh, Barja Manos Madrid uh, before the game. So then they have the big Giri Army flag outside this bar. Uh, Victoria Malaga beer is, like, ridiculously cheap, (laughs) which is brilliant. Um, (laughs) And again, I just remember... Um, going there and, and, and meeting not just obviously who I am, my fellow co-hosts, but there was people that are expats who live in Malaga along the Costa del Sol that follow Malaga here, there and everywhere. They've been doing it for, you know, 25, 30 years. Some of them, some have written books about them. They've got like a, a Peña bar essentially down in uh, Bella Medina. So, you know, it was kind of like you'd found... Your, your people, if that makes sense. Like, it, it's brilliant to be in amongst the, the locals and the natives, but when you aren't as fluent in Spanish as you would like to be, it can be quite lonely, I suppose. Um, so when you found like-minded people, you know, people I do the podcast with, there's a, um, there's Luke, who lives in Doncaster, who goes over just as much as I do. Um, Chris, at the time, was living in the Netherlands, and he's now relocated to to Spain. Um so to find these kind of like kindred spirits, I would say, to talk about what is now a third tier, technically non-professional football club with the maddest backstory going at the minute, in my opinion, um, is just crazy. Yeah, it's a beautiful story, really. But I guess to take it down um slightly darker road, we have to do it. Um uh, I am not as familiar with Malaga nowadays. When I lived there, I already knew from the from the friends I had there about is it um Al Thani, Mohammed Al Thani, the owner? Um that you know he's a very controversial man to say the least. But I sort of dropped off it. And then when I was doing the prep for this podcast, I re- it really puts into perspective how stark the fall from grace has been to go from, as you said, Champions League quarterfinalists. And even before that, like an established La Liga club, I mean, Malaga is a big city. It's easily in the top 20 cities in Spain. Like it's, it should really be a top flight club permanently. And now they're playing in the same league as Melilla, which is one of the other cities that I spent a year during my time living in Spain, which is a tiny enclave in Morocco. Their stadium is, you know, it's sort of, I wouldn't say it's non-league, But it's, you know, it's very, this is sort of very, very low level. La Rosaleda is not that. It's a very legit, awesome stadium, great fans, big club. How exactly, for our listeners that are a bit less au fait with this topic, how have Malaga ended up playing in the same league as 
you know, basically sort of like the Jersey equivalent of the Guernsey <laughs> equivalent of, uh, of, of Spanish football. Yeah, well, I suppose um, to split it into two parts, you've got your, your, your what happened and, and then what's happening in now. So obviously most people would have seen Malaga come to the forefront um, when uh, Adela Altani first came in and he, and he spent millions putting you know money into the club uh, to sign players um you know the the likes of Jeremy Chulalan uh, Isco from Valencia Nacho Monreal um you know they had Solomon Rondon up front they brought in Ruud van Nistelrooy from Real Madrid so it was was Roque Santa Cruz playing there then or was that later that was a little bit later sort of like on the turning point so um, like I say they, yeah they, 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 they got themselves into a strong position because of a, a couple of years beforehand they got themselves back into La Liga and again they, I think they were quite content in being there but um, as was the fad at the time I suppose there was a huge swell of, of clubs being bought up by you know billionaires essentially um, or, or Petro states, as some might call them now, and it became a race at the top. You know, this is just as financial fair play was brought in, so all this money was spent. Malaga got themselves to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Looked like they were going to progress to the semis, but uh, were beaten by Borussia Dortmund. And then the season after, they were banned from the Champions League because they'd broken financial fair play rules. And this is where it gets a bit murky because I never want to say that he spat his dummy out and, you know, didn't enjoy what had happened to him um, so that he sort of like pulled away from it. I don't think that was the full scope, but things just started to go from bad to worse. It was, you know, exodus of players being sold for big money and being replaced by, you know, cheaper signings, sort of like that managed decline. There was lots of alleges that money was being spent from the club coffers on, you know, there was a court case yesterday about this saying, um, you know, 250,000 euros for a hotel room in Beverly Hills, rain, uh, you know, fleets of Range Rovers being bought under the club's name. And then slowly but surely it just saw Malaga drop out of from a position of power out of La Liga, sort of a strong team in Segunda. Um, and then slowly but surely again, descending down the ladder Till eventually the last, dare I say, three seasons, they've been involved in relegation battles uh, every year. And then, unfortunately, last year, they dropped out of what is technically known as Spanish professional football. They're not in the La Liga umbrella anymore. They are under the Primera RFEF, um, which then goes into its own circle of madness, which I don't think we've even got the time to explain how crazy. Yeah. Spanish lower league football is very, very interesting in that sense. Like it becomes like four different leagues, or at least it did. I think maybe they keep changing it as well. So I don't really understand exactly anymore no. what's happening with it. But it's very, when I was following Malia, there were four, I think, sort of third yeah. tier, depending on where you live in the country, north, south, east, west, that kind of stuff. It's not so bad now. There's two regional leagues, which is where. Malaga play now and, and and Deportivo La Coruña as well, for example, are in the other side of that league. So again, another yeah, sort of absolutely crazy. Um, and then that's when you get down into like sort of even more regional, regional leagues and it gets, yeah, it's a bit like uh, a Russian doll <laughs> when, when you go a bit yeah. further beneath. 
the lower down you go, the the less professional and the more complicated I think the setup is. But like you said, Deportivo being in the other league as well, it's just crazy. You're playing with the likes of Melia, Ceuta, um, to just this sort of really, really low level. I think in, in an English perspective, it would genuinely be not that different to, I would say something like maybe Everton playing in the National League or maybe League Two. Yeah, it's I huge drop off. say that. Yeah, no, it, it, it's strange because, um, and, the, and the great thing about this is, is that as a club and as a fan base, we've embraced it. So, for example, we played Recreativo <laughs> Granada this weekend um, and ordinarily they would play at their training ground because they are Granada's B team. Um, but they opened up the Estadio uh, Las Camines for basically Malaga fans. There's not many people going to watch Granada Bay. And we took 5,000 fans away to to that. And that's been the story of our season. Uh, Matt went across to Ceuta um, a couple of weeks ago and he says it was one of the best away days he's ever had. He went over on the ferry from Algeciras. Um, the and again, it seems to be everywhere we go. There's this. There isn't this animosity. There isn't this rivalry. It's like, oh my god, Malaga are here. Let's get the fans into the bars. Let's you know break bread. Um, you know. So there's been no, been no badness about this league, and we don't want to be in it, but. I kind of like it. Like, I don't know. We are too big to be in it technically. And the survival of the club in the long term is very much in jeopardy because the funding is so far below what you would get in the Liga. But there's a novelty to it that I quite enjoy. And I think the biggest part of that is, is you actually get to see what fixtures are coming up. So unlike La Liga, who release their fixtures maybe two or three weeks in advance, and it could be anywhere between a Friday night and a Monday night, for us people, you know, as Giri's who live in the UK or, or in other countries and go to Spain, to know that you can book a flight and you will be able to go and watch that game on that weekend is something we've never had before. So there are silver lines to where we are, but as you said, we 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 can't stay where we are either. Yeah, like you said, it's um it's a double-edged sword because you probably, you really need to get into the Segunda or whatever it's called now, La Liga dos mm. or whatever, um, financially. And then obviously eventually try and get back to the top flight. But at the same time, it does sound like it must be fun going on these away days because again, for our fans who don't really know La Liga isn't, ex- well, Spain, sorry, isn't exactly known for its away followings. It's not quite like how, you know, Sunderland will be in the third tier, but they'll take 5,000 fans here and, you know, and stuff like that. And it's sort of known in Spain, even in the top flight, really, the away fan culture, I don't think is quite like what it is in Germany or in England or maybe even France. The lower down you get the pyramid, even the home support can be very dwindling. You know, like when I lived in Mallorca, I used to go and watch Real Mallorca and they were in the Segunda at the time and it will be half empty. So to have 5,000 away fans go into a third-tier game, I just want to hammer home just how spectacular that actually is. As you illustrated, they had to open up a stadium they wouldn't have even planned on using just for you. And I can see why all the the the, the teams in these like towns in the lower leagues are supporting of it because they obviously see it as, you know, you guys don't deserve to be where you are. And I think there's probably a lot of groundswell of support to hope that you can sort of, you know, rise up from it. I think the same would be true. I like to think it's the same with Reading 
in League One and the struggles they're having now. I mean, you saw that when they had that protest against Port Vale, that the Port Vale fans were applauding and, and in full support of them because they know that it's sort of bigger than rivalries in a way, isn't it? Mm. Um, but I guess I wanted to ask, are there any sort of plans to to get him out and to change the regime? Is there any support from like politicians or sort of notable people in the area? Is there any, um, is there any chance of getting um, Banderas to uh, get involved and (laughs) throw his strength behind it? What's, what's the plan of action here? It it would be nice. There was a rumor uh, a few years ago that George Clooney and Antonio Banderas were thinking about doing something. Um, Imagine suppose, if they bought it, that'd be so cool. <laughs> it'd be like the Wrexham thing all over again. But <laughs> in the sunshine, which we, would be great. But I suppose what you mentioned we read in there, the, I think the, the 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 twist on this for me is that this is something I'm kind of going through twice because as, as your listeners may know or, or may not know, um, Blackpool was under a similar kind of issue with ownership and um, went through a the courts had a court appointed adjudicator put in charge, and eventually the club was 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 sold from beneath them to, to pay off the money they owed to uh, Valeri Belicom. Uh, and obviously there was years of protest, um, you know, state, you know, people not doing a penny more, um, and basically just trying to drive them out. In Spain, unfortunately, it works a little bit difficult, um, different because um, the the difference in the shareholders is all there. So Altani still owns a majority shareholder in the club. However, because of the current court case, which has been undertaken now, he's been removed from all aspects of it. So we have a chap called Jose Maria Minos in charge of the club, basically. Um, He expedites the business dealings of all to do with Altani's companies. Altani has been invited over to come and, you know, be, have his day in court, say what he needs to say, be proven either guilty or innocent. Like I say, there's a lot of really um, serious financial breach allegations, um, some very big misdemeanors that have been alleged against him. But the problem is there isn't an extradition treaty with Qatar and Spain. So at the minute he is in Qatar, unless he comes over, there's not a lot that can be done. And unlike what happened with Blackpool, where the court just went in and appointed its own board, removed the Oystens, and then allowed for the sale of the club. It sounds like that can't happen in Spain without the procedure being fulfilled uh, throughout. So I don't see anything happen in the meantime. There is a uh, another background issue where a company called Blue Bay Hotels has just taken 49% of the holding company that owns Malaga, so if anything changes there, there were rumours um, about eight months ago that um, QSI, who own Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Bits of Braga, I think an Italian club as well, if I'm not mistaken, are seriously interested in Malaga, see it as a good project, but a great way to build their network, similar to what the City Football Group are doing. Yeah, with Hidona. Yeah, uh, that's been met with a little bit of backlash. But again, it's, you know, is it better the devil you know? I've got, I've got no idea. Would it ruin a bit of the charm of it? I'm not too sure. But um, at the minute, there's, there seems to be no end in sight. Um, and Malaga are sort of marooned to their position and as until a time that a new owner can be brought in. Um, because there is no investment going into the club, uh, money that is being 
brought in for the sale of players is being used to keep everything afloat. Um, like I say, being in this league we're in now, we saw our annual revenue drop from about seven million to three hundred and fifty thousand from the from the the league. So again, it's such a big gap to fill. Um, but it's the fans that keep it going. Like I say, they're filling out La Rosaleda every week. You know, twenty twenty five thousand people watching thirty Spanish football, going away to watch it. Shirt sales have never been better. So you know the. Uh, the faithful Malagistas are the people that are keeping the club alive. Um, and, and like I say, hopefully long may it continue. Yeah. It's like, they know that they're, they're funding the club themselves, like knowingly, like we have to go, we have to buy shirts to keep the club afloat, which mm. I don't think that often when football fans go to a game, I mean, usually we're complaining about the prices when I go to Warsaw every other week in league two and I'm playing 25 pounds, I'm complaining about that. I'm not thinking about how I'm, you know, putting money into my club. And I guess it's a totally different dynamic. They're actually paying with with joy, with pride every time they spend however many euros to go in Rosaleda there. They're contributing to the club's survival. Mm. And and it, and it's the irony is is that as much as they're doing that, there's there's often a bit of jest said about this, but Malaga are basically the second club in a in a one club town because you know, it's, I think it's the fourth biggest city in Spain now. Um, and the population mm. has swollen so much, but when you see them having to, you know, fence up the fountains in, um, in the city because Real Madrid are in a Champions League final says everything you really need to know about, um, you know, where the power lands on, on that front. And it's the same everywhere else. Don't get me wrong, you know, not everyone in Blackpool is a Blackpool fan. There's a lot of Manchester United, City, uh, Liverpool fans as well. But, you know, if you used to think that if everyone in Malaga was backing the club, then that would be a sellout every weekend. You know, 30,000 seats. They've got plans to expand the stadium as part of the, um, the World Cup bid. Um, so it could see the stadium grow to 45,000 seats, I think it is, all fancy brand new. So it'd be good to get even more people in there. Um, but from our end at the Giri cast and from the Giri army, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we're still showing up every time that we can. I think it's um, just a hammer home again for our listeners who might not be familiar with it. It really is remarkable to be getting 25,000 in the Spanish third tier, because like you said, there's this dynamic of, you know, the bigger clubs, which is happening everywhere. You know, I go to Germany a lot because my wife's German and, you know, you hear the same stuff there that in every major city, half the people support Bayern Munich and half of them support their actual team. But And the same in England, like you said, you know, you get, you know, I, I live in the West Midlands and still there's probably more Man United fans in my town or whatever <laughs> than there are Warsaw fans. But honestly, in my experience, in my humble opinion, it is worse in Spain. It's really bad. I, f I find that all the places I've lived, it's half Real Madrid, half Barcelona, and the actual local team is an afterthought. I don't think it's always the case. From what I can tell in the north, in the Basque region, for example, that's yeah, not yeah. the case. They're very passionate about their own teams and in Asturias. But... And you do get passionate fans like yourself everywhere all over the country, in Andalusia as well, um, Malaga fans. But like you said, it says it all when a Real Madrid semi-final or whatever is probably bigger than, you know, Malaga getting in the playoffs or something. It's mm. it's just the sort of... It's one of those things about Spanish football. Every football, every country's football has its sort of pros and cons, and that is one of the troubling elements of it, I think, sometimes. 
No, it really is. And I think, like I say, we're, we're very thankful for what we have got. And and again, if it was anymore, I suppose you're the twisted side of things. Is, would, it, would it be the same? I'm not too sure. It's why I, you know, it's never appealed to me to, to, to go to a Manchester United game or to a Chelsea game or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, there is that, that side of things too. But yeah, hopefully, like I say, the plan is to try and get back in the Segunda uh, Division uh, as the first time of asking. It is hard from this position because there is only one uh, automatic promotion spot as well. It's a bit like the National This is what League I was going to ask you. You're in third. What's the situation? Is it second to fifth playoffs or how does it work? So second to fifth playoffs against both leagues. So the top club okay. in uh, Grupo Uno and Grupo Dos um, get promoted automatically to Segunda. Then okay. the playoffs um, mix between the teams who finish second to fifth in both leagues. So if you finish second in um, Grupo Uno, you'd play fifth in Grupo Dos uh, and a bit similar to the playoffs. So realistically, Castellón and Ibiza are challenging for the top spot in, in your mm-hmm. group. They're, one of them is going up probably because you're 11 mm-hmm. points back. But you should have a playoff spot basically against Cordoba and we we think so. We think so. December and January weren't very kind to us because um, I, I just think our form fell off towards the back end of uh, of November. So we went unbeaten from we the first game we played was Castillon, who reached the playoff final last year. They brought in uh, Dick Schroeder from uh, the Netherlands, who just plays such a beautiful brand of football um, that we, we we've kind of just gone, yeah, okay, let let them go up. That's fine. <laughs> the, the irony is, is that they're thirteen points clear of us in this league. If we were in the other side, we'd only be three points off top off uh, Pomfredina, I think it is. So it shows yeah. that how much they're gunning for it. Uh, Ibiza, the same. They recruited really well in the summer. They, they want to get back at the first chance of asking. And the last couple of months, it's been more looking over our shoulder rather than looking ahead. We're not really chasing anymore those front two. We're, we're kind of stalking from a distance. Um, but our forms allowed the likes of Recreativo Huelva, um, you know, Algeciras, Antiquera, um, to all kind of like creep up. Um, Cordoba have come out of nowhere as well. But again, these are other great clubs that, you know, want to get into this Spanish Segunda because, you know, that's where they think they should be as well. So it's a very exciting league um, as much as there is a big division in quality, but it, but it is exciting. And, this February should hopefully be a lot kinder to us because we're only playing one team from the top half. And I think the other four are all in and around the relegation zone. So fingers crossed that we can catch up some ground on Castellon and they have a little slip <laughs> at some point. Well, we will have our fingers crossed for you, that's for sure. And I'm sure all of our listeners will as well because it's a it's a great story and it's a big club that definitely deserves to be uh, higher up the table. We've been a little bit down in the dumps talking about the owner situation and and some of that stuff and, you know, the drop-off in form, but let's end on a positive. What would you say is your favourite memory following Malaga all these years? Uh, my favourite memory, oh, there's probably so many, like you say, you could pick that first game, you could pick the first time meeting the Faro Giris, but... We've really built something with the Giri cast, something that we're really proud of. Um, you know, we've taken it from strength to strength. We started as a, as just an audio podcast. We're now 
across all platforms. But I think the best part of what we've done with the GiriCast is build a community. Like say the Giri army was always there and that was based very much in Spain. But now with the GiriCast community on top of that too, we're drawing fans from here, there and everywhere. We meet up regularly, whether it's in the UK or whether it's in Malaga. So for example, in, um, in November, we all met up and, had a lovely bar crawl, you know, had some tapa and then went to the game and we was hoping to celebrate afterwards, but we lost 2-1 to Alcayano, which put a bit of a dampener on it. But <laughs> again, we've got the same thing organised for this weekend. A lot of us are going to go meet out uh, for this game against Atletico Baleares. Uh, it's a Sunday. Are you at home or are you in the Baleares? No, we are. We're at home at La Rosaleda. It's, it's difficult to get away tickets if you're not a season ticket holder nowadays, unfortunately. But we do hope to, to organise something uh, away from home before the season ends. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's meeting, you know, people that have got this same mindset as you, this same passion as you have. Like I say, speaking to Luke from Doncaster, that I think I'd known that he, him for 10 years. I've only known him for 18 months. Um, there's <laughs> people that come from London, from Scotland, um, from Southampton. So, you know, it, it's very tight-knit. And, you know, we appreciate every single one of them for the support they give to the podcast, but, you know, for everything they do for Malaga uh, as well to to really bring it alive. Well, Nick, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck with the rest of the season. We'll be rooting for you. Um, hopefully you can get back into the second tier. Fingers crossed. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much for listening to our second episode of this new Football Stories era. It was such a pleasure speaking to Nick. Uh, We can't wait to bring you more chats with fans from across the footballing landscape, from ex-pros to bloggers, YouTubers, and much more. If you've enjoyed hearing Nick's stories, if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. We'll be bringing plenty more content like this your way. If you really liked it, give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That will help us out so much. Tell a friend. Thank you so much. Catch you next time on the Sportscast Football Stories podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.